Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for another episode of All Things Evangelism. Today, we're talking about what constitutes true success. And I'm very privileged to be here today with one of our conference evangelists and local church pastor, Justin Tarosian. Um, he's from the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church, that's where he pastors. And he's also, as those of you guys who've been connected with all of our evangelistic uh, material that we've been producing this year, he's one of our our presenter. So welcome to the podcast, Justin. It's good hey, to thanks here. so much. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for the invite. Uh, we get to hang out a lot. We're very privileged to be able to spend time uh, together a bit and partnering in ministry. But uh, it's good to have you, yeah, on the podcast today. And so, yeah, Justin, man, we're talking about true success. And I want to just kind of kick off our conversation with this really cool quote that I dug up today. And I think everyone will be really impressed to hear this. So, Jesus is, you know, doing ministry and his ministry is not being received positively by all of the people in his world. And I just want to read this statement. It's from a book called The Desire of Ages. This is the quote I dug up. And it says, the disciples had been bitterly disappointed at the reception which Christ had meant hitherto. The authorities at Jerusalem were seeking to murder him. Even his own townsmen had tried to take his life. But at Capernaum, he was welcomed with joyful enthusiasm and the hopes of the disciples kindled anew or kindled anew. It might be that among the liberty loving Galileans were to be found the supporters of the new kingdom. But with surprise, they heard Christ's words. I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also for therefore I am sent. Okay. So Justin, you've got Jesus for the most part being rejected by the religious leaders in Jerusalem mm -hmm. and by his own townspeople. And then the disciples, though, they get really excited because in Galilee, the people seem to be welcoming him with open arms. And then the statement goes on. In the excitement which then pervaded Capernaum, there was a danger that the object of his mission would be lost sight of. Jesus was not satisfied to attract attention to himself merely as a wonder worker or a healer of physical diseases, he was seeking to draw men to him as their savior. While the people were eager to believe that he had come as a king to establish an earthly reign, he desired to turn their minds away from the earthly to the spiritual. And then this is the kicker. Mere worldly success would interfere with his work. Mm. Wow. Powerful. Yeah. Dude, what do we make of that statement? I, that's a, that's a very good analysis of what yeah, we no kidding. when we read the gospels, right? You can just read the gospels and you can come to that conclusion. I just read the quote cause it's just a very powerful uh, statement and well articulated statement. So there was a kind of success that Jesus could have acquired, but he didn't want to acquire it. Mm. It was called what she says, worldly success. And that worldly success would have gotten in the way of his work. Mm. That's right. It's like, and it happens this way in our lives as well. You know, sometimes, for example, basic illustration, someone accepts, uh, they're having Bible studies. They've given their life to Christ. They come to understand the Bible truth. And, um, but they're working on Saturdays. And they're afraid to ask their boss for time off because they feel like, well, I'm making really good money. I don't want to lose this job. 
and yeah. you know doesn't got and so they're trying to kind of they're compromising essentially and they're hesitant to do so but really that's worldly success whereas god often has an even better job for you um and yeah. even if he doesn't it's still better to step out in faith take a demotion or uh um and thankfully here in australia we don't have that issue here or in america because there are laws protecting uh religious beliefs and your work your employer technically has to uh, accommodate for uh, you taking Saturday off and get other workers to work on that day instead of you. Yeah. Uh, but in countries where that's not the case, sometimes people lose their jobs, they get fined, they get put in prison. Uh, but they say, look, we recognize that God sees the big picture. He knows what true success looks like in my life and in the grand scheme of eternity. And I would rather stand for God's word and stand upon God's word, no matter what may come then compromise on it and have this worldly success. And I guess that's what Jesus was avoiding. He trusted that his heavenly father knew the big picture and that that heavenly uh, gauge of success was so much more important than any uh, gauge of success in this world. Yep. So does this statement, which is just really an assessment of what the Bible shows us, challenge you in, in your life? Or how, can you have, see how this is challenged your perspectives in the past and maybe even challenge the perspectives that you kind of see in church world today? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we have this kind of mentality. I mean, she essentially just said, just to back up, she essentially just said that Jesus knowingly said things that would cause a majority of his followers to leave, to no longer follow him. That's huge. You know, but he recognized that this was actually better for his people in the long run because those faithful disciples that would stick around um, would be able to pull together after the cross, see Jesus after the resurrection, and move forward in faith. Um, but the reason, and to answer your question, the reason it's challenging to us, I think, is because we tend to think and to feel like in ministry or in life that doing things that would displease people um, or might upset people is automatically, you know, not the right thing to do because, you know, you don't want to upset people. Right. And Jesus was so not this way. Um, Ellen White says elsewhere in the desire of ages that he was neither, uh, dejected by censure nor elated by praise. So when people said great things about him, it didn't give him a big head and get him all excited because he was making people happy nor when people were condemning him and saying negative things about him, did it discourage him because he had his eyes focused on God's will for him, God, the father's will. That was Jesus focus. And that's what challenges me about the quote that you shared is I have to ask myself the question, um, am I too affected and influenced by people's feelings and thoughts that they express? Uh, or do I have an eye single to God's glory and God's will? Yeah. And uh, just allow whatever may come. Yeah, it seems like what she's touching on is this idea that you don't measure your success purely based on how many people approve of you or like you or want to follow you, right? So like yeah. somebody may say, well, I am succeeding in ministry because I have lots of followers on my Instagram account. Or mm -hmm. I'm succeeding for God because I got lots of likes in that particular statement that you know I made on social media or that sermon that lots of people affirmed. Now, it is true that response is one 
factor that you can consider when you're trying to consider success, right? Like if a person's doing ministry for ages and ages and ages and getting no measurable success, they can start to think, well, yeah, like I'm not getting any success, right? Mm-hmm. Like, but at the same time, because you, you can see with, within Jesus's ministry, like he does get success, but the way he's operating in Capernaum, um, which the statement of Ellen White brings out is that he's just obsessed with the object of his mission. And that's mm-hmm. to save people, to truly save people and to find people who want to be converted, truly converted. He's not just looking for people who will get excited because he can do magic tricks. And he's not just looking for people who will follow him because he's an important person mm-hmm. or an exciting political figure. You know, yeah. that's all worldly. That's all built on worldly pride and worldly ambition and True. ego, like the natural egotistical nature of man. You've got Jesus who came to the earth sent by God to win people into eternity. That's, that's his mission. And if he gets caught up in this whole, like, Oh, I really feel good because people are applauding for me and I got lots of crowds that want to listen to me. Well, now he's losing sight of what God sent him to do. So I think if we ever want to get true success, we have to establish firmly in our minds what our goal is. Is our goal being popular and loved by everyone? Or is our goal to save those who can be saved into eternity? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that has to be our, our, our main focus and goal is doing the will of God and being faithful to do his work because he's the one that sees the big picture. Another thing um, that I think is significant when it comes to talking about true success is the different measures and the different gauges that we have for what true success is. Because like you pointed out, Jesus lost a whole bunch of followers by saying what he said in John 6, but it was the right thing to do and it was what God the Father had wanted him to do. Um, But by human standards, we would look at that and be like, whoa, he just lost most of his followers. He must have made a mistake. He must have said something wrong. Um, So we can't always use our gauges of success when it comes to soul winning and the spiritual world, Um, kind of the gauges for success and the measures for success that we use uh, for other things in life. And some of those, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you have a bunch in your mind, but one of the gauges, the main gauges, and don't get me wrong, these gauges and measures of success are important. They have their place, Um, but they are not all the most important thing. And it's not, sometimes we focus on just one or two of these measures of success as if it's everything. And one of them is baptism right? Um, When we are leading people to Christ, when we're studying the Bible with them, when we're praying and agonizing for souls and asking the Lord to draw people to himself, he will send us individuals who will go into the waters of baptism and be baptized. Uh, However, that's not the only gauge of success. Uh, I'll just share a quick story. At some point in my pastoral ministry, we had a Bible worker at the church that I was at, and they were with us for a year. And they said, uh, they said, you know, I encourage them to make a goal, you know, for the year. And they said, I want to lead one person into the waters of baptism this year. That's a healthy goal. That's a good goal to have. Uh, but it just so happened that in the year he would study with one person and it was going amazing. And then they would move down uh, to another area and, uh, you know, they wouldn't get to finish the studies, but some other person got to, you know, pick up studies with them and they got baptized there. Or there was another person who, um, yeah, there was another person who they were, uh, studying with and they started to study with, and that person also moved away. It happened multiple times. 
And there were some who came to the point of saying, yes, I want to give my life to Christ in baptism, but they weren't quite ready to get baptized before this Bible worker was moving to their next appointment. And so they were tempted to be discouraged. And, um, you know, when we were talking at one point, I told them, I said, listen, don't be discouraged. Jesus said in John chapter four, uh, with the, the woman at the well, in John 4, 37, he said, one sows and another reaps. And I said, you know, planting the seed and watering the seed and allowing God to use you in the ways that he has, has been amazing. And God has answered that prayer. And I said also this, I said, you know, looking back on my own first minute, first year in ministry, I think if, um, if I had had uh, a person that I had led from point A all the way to point Z, from not knowing the Lord at all or knowing his word, the Bible, all the way until baptism, I said, I might be tempted to, to take credit and to lean upon my own strength uh, and my own abilities rather than leaning upon God and recognizing that I'm just a part of this person's process, no matter how long of the process I'm a part of it for. There's like a and, uh, continuum that they're on, like a faith continuum. And you, you, you're at one point in that continuum, but you're not exactly right. sometimes journeying the whole way with them. That's exactly right. I mean, there was a guy that called me at the end of March, the beginning of COVID this year. And he's like, Hey, um, <clears throat> could you baptize me? I know we haven't met. <laughs> I know you don't know me. I said, yeah, man, that'd be amazing. I said, let's uh, sit down and start studying the Bible together. And he said, oh, um, I'm pretty sure I, I know what it means to be an Adventist Christian. You know, I said, OK, look, let's meet tomorrow. So we met up and the guy had been he'd read like Desire of Ages and Great Controversy. And he'd read Mountain of Blessings um, and all of these books. And he was just so solid in his understanding of Bible teaching mm. that, uh, you know, he was basically ready for baptism. God had broken him free from alcohol and see. We played, and by God's grace, uh, he started coming to church in August, and then we had his baptism in October. And so, beautiful experience, but we had very little part to play in it because for the last four years, uh, someone gave him some books 10 years ago. They sat on his shelf for six years. Four yeah. years ago, God led him to the books, and we just had the privilege of, of reaping, so to speak, this guy who yes. uh, was completely sold out for Christ. And so... That's another, I think, uh, a dangerous measure, Matt, that you pointed out. It's a continuum, everyone's faith journey. And there's no such thing as a cold contact. Whether we knock on a door or we meet someone, um, God has already been there in some way, big or small, um, you know, in yeah. some external way. And I think if we get in our minds that, hey, we have to be the one who introduces the person to the Bible and to Jesus in the beginning and all the way leading them to baptism, we can forget that we're just the link in the chain that, uh, that is what God has used to lead them to freedom and yeah. accepting him into their lives. That's it. I think that equal tension needs to be maintained between what you're saying and a desire to disciple, right? So yeah. a person saying, I'm willing to take whatever responsibility God needs me to take so that I can help someone move forward in their faith journey. Yeah. That's like one side of, of the, the, the uh, uh, tug of, tug of, one side of the rope in a tug of war. Um, so the one side says, I'm ready, God, to commit to whatever I need to, and I'll do whatever you call me to do to help someone move forward in faith. And then the other side is, yes, God, I'm willing to only serve a certain function in their you know, journey. Mm -hmm. I'll serve a certain purpose. It's like you keep equal tension between those two. Because if you run one way or the other, you're just going to get imbalanced and, and frustrated and confused, you know, like, but so 
man, I'm, I'm loving this conversation and wanted to just add like to what you're saying in regards to like measuring success and how do you, what metric do you use? I really think if, if a person wants to find true success, they have to know what God is calling them to. And so like, cause I, I would just in simple terms define true success as faithfulness yeah. to conscience faithfulness to duty, faithfulness to God, faithfulness to the scriptures, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, sure. it's like, I was thinking there's a verse in second Corinthians one in verse 12, where Paul says for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience that in the holiness, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. And then, you know, he goes on to elaborate a bit, but he's basically saying like the way I conducted myself in my interactions with you, as I was ministering to you and building up the church of God, like my conscience is clear. Like I have a clear conscience. And so I can lay down at the end of each day saying my conscience is clear. And I, I really think if you're, if you're that person in that place, you can say like, I've achieved true success, but but how can you have a clear conscience about the work that you're doing if you're not sure what work you're to be doing? Right. Yeah. Like, no, that doesn't, I'm not trying to infer or imply that like, Hey, if you don't know specifically precisely what God's mission for your life is, you can never have true success. That's not what I'm saying, but just on a general level, like in, in a general level, like, okay, so what are things I know God wants from me? Like, I know, I know God would like me to pray, you know, the Bible says pray without ceasing. So I'm <laughs> sure I should pray once or twice a day, right? <laughs> like, you know, obviously that doesn't mean you're on your knees praying, but the, the Bible on from cover to cover advocates for communication between you and God on a regular level. Study to show yourself approved before God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So I want to know what God's says i study scripture you know i should be praying god wants me jesus says i didn't come to serve but to, sorry to be served but to serve so i know i should have a service-oriented life and disposition towards others so right there in just those three bullet points you know praying studying my bible and serving other people you know committing my life to service okay there's 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 some goals right like set out for me so yeah. I've got a standard by which I can measure my success. And if my conscience is clear, then, Hey, like my conscience is clear. Like I'm succeeding. I'm, I'm being faithful to my conscience and faithful to what yeah. God has led me to understand and to know about my life. And I think, I really think this is a simple point, but it's profound and it's important because it, I've met people who are 60, 70 years old who are crying and upset and depressed and despondent saying, you know, I never understood what was my call, what was my mission, what was my goal. Mm. And I thought, and I thought to myself, well, your goal is to make it to the kingdom of heaven, have a meaningful connection with the Lord Jesus Christ, to you know, love Him and keep His commandments. You know what I mean? It's just like, like there's yeah. some simple scriptural things that 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 was your mission. You know, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Like, of course, yeah. you know, there's some specific convictions that you receive and calls to certain kinds of ministries and. Yeah, you need to be faithful there and try to achieve success. But anyways, that's I know I'm speaking in the abstract a bit, but I think it's important. 
No, no, definitely very important. And I think that, um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. A, a friend told us, told me recently, he said, you know, I had a conversation with my brothers and our discussion was all about whether or not you can be a real Christian without ever sharing your faith. And he said, I was saying you can't because the natural result is that you're going to want to share your faith. And, uh, and, the, and he said, my brothers were telling me, no, it, it's, you can, you don't have to you know, share your faith verbally. You can just live your life. And, but just to go back to the point about how it's really a continuum that people are on in their faith journey and different people play different roles in leading them to Christ. If one link in a chain is broken, it's true. Like, you know, another, or as, as a chain is being formed, if one is broken, uh, then it's not going to work as a chain to, you know, to pull anything or influence anything. And I was just going to say, I brought this up because sometimes we get the idea that, oh, you know, God is doing everything he can to lead everyone to him. He can use someone else besides me. And so people can sometimes get lazy about soul winning and say, ah, oh, it doesn't need to be me. It can be someone else. But if God has sent an angel to tap you on the shoulder, so to speak, and to impress your mind with an idea of sharing your faith with someone, it's because you at that point in time are the best situated in the sight of heaven to reach out to that person. And we can't in good conscience neglect opportunities to share our faith and to reach out um, because it can affect people's eternal destiny, essentially. Mm -hmm. There's a really powerful uh, quote, actually, it's from a magazine called The Youth's Instructor from 1903. And Ellen White penned these words. Um, it was a series of articles from August that year in 1903. And it's so powerful. It says this, true success in any line is not the result of chance, of accident, or of destiny. It is the outworking of God's providence, the reward of faith and discretion, of virtue and persevering labor. So that's just so powerful to me. And there's so much there. But true success is the 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 blessing or the outworking of virtue and persevering labor like god mm. wants us to do what we can and it doesn't mean you have to quit your job and become a bible worker full-time or a pastor necessarily and if god's calling you to do that then do it um, but he needs different people in different professions to reach out and in every area of our lives to be witnesses for him to be uh, reaching out for others in evangelism because it's not going to be by chance or accident or destiny yeah. right well you know it's funny uh, like there's there's i love what what i love so much about ellen white's writings there's lots that i love about her writings but one thing is how she always gets to the bottom of things she always goes to the foundational level and and she's she it, which is brilliant and, and and so when it comes to this idea of true success or measuring success in ministry and evangelism people always want to look for like when they say okay i'm, I'm going to show you how to get true success here is, you know, a seven-step process. Here's uh, yeah. <laughs> the stages you'll go through. Like, I, I was just thinking to myself, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, okay, you'll get success. I've read tons of books on how to get success. And by and large, what they involve is a person sharing what worked for them. Mm. But behind what worked for all of you know, all the different books have kind of different steps, different approaches, different whatever. Um, but what they all share is some basic fundamental principles. And that's what Ellen White focus on, focuses on. And I think that's what we should focus on. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Because behind all true success is what Ellen White just said. Mm, yeah. In that statement, right? Like, faith, it's yeah, out- the reward. Yeah, it's the outworking of God's providence, the reward of faith and discretion, yes. and the virtue of persevering labor. So, persevering labor, right. faith and discretion, and God's providence. That applies you know, to any scenario. You, you. It's like this. It's like you could look at any book on success and how to find it, and any book prescribing a certain formula for missional success. And like you, you could remove some of those steps and still find success. Yeah. True. You could mix and match the different things that different books say about how to get success and how to succeed missionally. You can mix and match them and whatever, you know, a little of this here, a little of that there, you know, whatever. But what you can't, you can't remove is what she just said. That's mm. fundamental. That's essential. That that's never going to change or go away. And I find like as, as Adventist Christians, sometimes we focus on the non-essential more than the essential. Mm. True. I just like to focus on the essential more than the non-essential. Like, okay, so the, the various individuals in scripture who we see succeeding for God, getting true success for God, did their lives look exactly the same? No, like none at all. Yeah. But what was common to them all? Faith, virtue, mm. you know, yeah. meaning, labor, God's providence. Yeah. never quitting, you know, perse- yeah, it's just, that's always there. So when you read through Hebrews 11 and you see the hall of faith, you see these very different people with very different experiences, very different approaches from sometimes different, t- hugely different time frames, which would mean the cultural difference were, differences were magnificent. So many differences, yet, like by faith, you know, Moses leaves Egypt, you know, by faith, mm-hmm. Abraham leaves Canaan by faith, you know, they stopped the mouths of lions, you know, by faith, it's always like, okay, so it's the, their success came through like this radical commitment and this total faith um, that never changes. And that's fundamental. It's true. And it's so interesting that in that chapter of uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's, it's so interesting that it's opposites in the beginning. In the first part, it says, um, yeah, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We know Cain, Cain killed Abel, so Abel lost his life for faithfulness to God. And then next, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, so he didn't see death. So Abel died for his faithfulness. Enoch never died. Then you've got Noah. He comes into an ark, and then Abraham comes out of uh, his homelands. Yeah. Uh, and then just repeatedly, it's like faith led these people to do things that were different in different situations, like you're talking about. And, yeah. you know, when you mention all of these um, books about success and um, YouTube videos for how to succeed and this or that, I think that they're including two of the three points here that Ellen White mentions. She says that true success is the outworking of God's providence, first of all, the reward of faith and discretion, and then third of all, um, of virtue and persevering labor. So really, I think these guys, you know, the focus is really uh, on discretion, like being careful with your analyzing things, right? Virtue, not always something that they care about necessarily, uh, but definitely persevering labor, being smart with what you're doing and persevering labor. But true success, not the worldly success that these books and uh, people often offer, even though some of the points that they have may be practical tips. True success has to be first and foremost, the outworking of God's providence. Mm -hmm. Like without God's blessing, we can't have true success, right? 
it's pointless. All of the, the um, strategies, all of the ideas and, and um, all the tools that we can implement, they're meaningless if it's uh, in regards to true success, uh, if it's not connecting with God and saying, God, is this what you want? Is this the direction that you're leading? Yes, brother, uh, you just made me think of the, and I think there's a connection here. So the Israelites get to the border of the promised land in Numbers 14, and God says, okay, let's, let's move forward. That's a magnificent summary of, the, of what's <laughs> yeah. happening there. Basically, the spies go in, the spies come back. The two give a positive report. The, the 10 give a negative report. The people yeah. get freaked out. They want to kill Moses and revolt and go back to Egypt and choose another leader. Um, and they're going to kill Joshua and Caleb too. Anyways, so they, they won't go forward. God intervenes. He saves Moses's life and pronounces a curse upon the people and says, okay, so now you're, yeah, you're not going to go in. You're going to go to the wilderness for 40 years. So Providence had led them there at that time. And all they had to do was continue to follow God. Just a few more mm-hmm. steps, just a few yeah. more steps. They had, you know, escaped Egypt. They just, it's, you're almost there guys. You're just about there. But um, the word of God, the providential indications that would lead them to believe that they were supposed to go forward. They just didn't, didn't mind them, mm. but rather decided to entertain their fears and accept the faithless report of the unfaithful spies. And then God's like, okay, you're going to stay in the wilderness. And then when they kind of settle into that idea, like, Oh no, we're stuck in the wilderness for 40 years. What? Mm. Um, yeah. They're like, okay, we'll go in now. And it's like you run in. They just like run in. So, mm-hmm. so you got the, so if you compare like, like the people's condition, the people not wanting to go in in that story, mm-hmm. and then their reversal and saying we want to go in, all the circumstances are the same. Like you've got the same group of people wanting to go yeah. into the same territory to do the same thing they were going to do before, but but when they tried to go in after God said you're not going in, they completely failed. Yeah. They completely failed because they were not following providence mm. and the word of God, and they were not in the will of God. And so God didn't bless them, and God couldn't bless them. And they got defeated miserably and then had to not just go to the wilderness for 40 years, but to have to go there with more dead loved ones, right? Mm. So it's like that's yeah. a perfect analogy of what you're saying. It's like we're doing spiritual <laughs> work, and we can't run ahead of God. We can't act as if there's no God leading us here. This isn't like our game to play. This is yeah. – this is a mission where we follow the directives of God. And so I'm real big on this all the time. Like, I don't know if it's my revivalist nature or not, but I just think we just need to repent and, and get this thing straight. Like, but I, what do you think of that analogy? I think that's a really, no, that's, that's powerful. And I was just going to say, it, 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 it really stood out to me that it was actually the same thing God told them to do originally. Yeah. It was just the wrong time. And, yes. and uh, I don't know if you agree or disagree with this statement, but the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Yes. You know, in this case, it was the right thing. God had just told them to go in, but then they said, no, they complained. They were fearful. And then God said, okay, back into the wilderness. And they said, oh, no, we changed our minds. We're going in. And God had already said no. And it's like, it wasn't even that long after, but God had, changed i mean his providence was clear you're going back into the wilderness and they weren't willing to listen they tried doing the right thing but it was too late and uh i've also heard the phrase you know delayed obedience is disobedience and um i think like a lot of the time that's actually i think that's a true statement but you know sometimes it's just 
delayed obedience is still obedience. It's just delayed. <laughs> but sometimes the scenario completely changes. And I think we need to be sensitive as we are in soul winning to the situations. We can't always know. But if we're sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit, God can actually um, alert us to now nah, maybe give the person that book next week, you know, and then when, the next week when we give it to them, hey, how have you been, by the way? Oh, listen, last week was a disaster in our house, you know, and they tell you why. And you're like, wow, thank you, Lord. That book might have gone in the trash or something from a fellow uh, fellow family member. You know, God sees the big picture. He knows it all. And so timing is super essential and um, powerful point, Matt from the children of Israel about how if it's not the providence of God leading at that time, yeah. then you must listen to, to God's instruction. And I guess the, the easy lesson out of that is always follow God's word, you know, trust him in faith. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah. Hey bro. So you were alluding earlier in this conversation and maybe we can kind of finish off here, but like in regards to the, the whole John six thing, right? Like, so there's this Ellen white statement um, you're referring to, and it, it basically just summarizes the narrative of John 6 and kind of gives a little bit of inside information about what was going on there. So for those people who aren't familiar with John chapter 6, Jesus, basically, it's, it's the shortest summary. A bunch of miracles are done on one side of the lake. Jesus and his disciples travel to the opposite side of the lake. The crowd from the previous day walks around the lake and, you know, and follows them there. And word gets around that, hey, Jesus has gone to the other side of the lake. So a group of people follow him, him there. And it's, it's thousands of people. It's, it's, the, it's basically what happened. Sorry, I should have said, I should have said that it was the feeding of the 5,000 on the, on the first side of the lake. Yeah. So Jesus feeds the 5,000. People are flipping out. In verse 15, they want to make him the king. He refuses sends his disciples off on the boat. They go across the lake. He stays on that side of the lake to come, to just be there and pray up on the top of the mountain. It's the whole walking on the water scene that happens. John doesn't talk about it in John 6, but well, maybe he does. Anyways, so, but it's the same, same story. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water, gets into the boat in the middle of the night. They all go to the other side of the lake. And then the next day there's tons of people because everyone found out. And so he preaches this sermon to them on the bread of life. Anyways, man, I'm saying a lot, but he preaches this sermon on the bread of life and says these kinds of things that don't make sense to the Jews that are there. And they're a bit perplexed and a bit confused. And the tension mounts and a kind of argument begins between Jesus and some of his disciples. And most of them just take off. Most of his disciples are just like, we're out of here. This guy's nuts. And so the day before they want to make him the king, like thousands of them are like, you're the king, you're the king. Literally, they're going to make him the, the highest ruler in the land and get behind him as if to say he's the anointed. He's like the son of David. He's taking the throne. And we're going to go take over the world. And then the very next day, they're just walking away like, what's with this guy? Like, he's nuts. And so, yeah, like... He, it's because of the sermon he preached and they were offended. So Ellen White and her commentary on this circumstance, it's all inferred in the story, but she kind of explicitly brings this out. And that is that Jesus was intentionally attempting to 
kind of make a test. This was a, he was doing this on purpose, preaching a sermon that he knew a lot of people would be offended by. And they, and they would use that sermon as a pretext to just abandon him. And, and she brings out that he was looking forward to the eventual crucifixion, knowing that it was going to be such a difficult test for his true disciples that if all those people were still around at that point, then the, then the, the kind of current that would be created by their departure would sweep away some of his true disciples. Mm-hmm. So Jesus was working towards just having true, genuine followers. Mm. so that when he got to the crucifixion, you know, to his crucifixion, those people would stay faithful and loyal and that he could bring them through that experience. So they, they, basically he's assessing the disciples going, you know what, these guys are not going to be able to handle me being crucified and thousands of people leaving at the same time and I'm not there for them and they're just going to lose their faith. Mm. So what I'll do is I'll preach this really difficult sermon that's going to challenge a lot of people's understandings and all the phonies will leave me, all the people who just want worldly glory, they'll just take off. And I'll only be left with the true disciples. And then I'll build them up to the point that they'll be able to endure this cross experience. And then when we're through this cross experience, man, we're going to take over the world. You know what I mean? Not literally, but we're going we're gonna to spiritually explode, you know? So this all shows you Jesus' mindset and how he's looking for true success. Not just big crowds, not just people applauding him not just being a a famous, important person with lots of likes and followers, but his goal is true conversion, truly getting people converted and building them up to the point where they they can become something that creates the church. Mm, Absolutely. Two thoughts came in in that um, for Jesus then at that moment, true success in the eyes of heaven looked like failure in the eyes of the world. Yes. And often for us, like true success that God looks down upon and smiles may look like failure in the eyes of of the world. And even the church, if some people in the church are worldly and don't understand the will of God. And then the second thing that popped out at me when you were uh, you were sharing that, Matt, was that the other thing that stood out was that um, Jesus wanted to boil it down to just the 12. And I mean, yes, there were a handful of others, of course, but this smaller group of disciples because he could invest in them more intentionally, more seriously. And um, sometimes we can get caught up in numbers. Oh yeah, this and this many people are studying the Bible. Well, that's great. But sometimes it's better to actually have a small handful that you're really mentoring and pouring yourself into and discipling uh, who can go then and affect totally. more. Totally. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I, I, I just live this life of frustration, Justin. I'll just tell you this and everybody who's listening. And uh, it's like, you know, if you have a conference session every four years in North New South Wales, like how, how would certain snippets of Jesus's ministry look in that time frame, mm. Brother, it's crazy. Like if we want true success, the way that Jesus got it, we have to be a hundred percent committed to being abandoned by some and disapproved of by others. Yeah. That's 100%, like 100%. So you, you like hear people talking in ministry, like we got to do bigger things and bigger things and better things and bigger things and better things and bigger things and better things. And you're like, okay, how about this? Let's just get the person who's the best preacher who ever lived, who could raise people from the dead and feed everyone from bread and low, you know, a couple pieces mm-hmm. of bread and fish um, yeah, who, who can heal everyone and, you know, whatever. He has, he's the most capable human being because he's actually God in human form, right? Mm, yeah. He's who's ever lived. 
He's the most capable human being who's ever lived because he's God in human form. And let's hide him away in small Middle Eastern towns filled with poor, uninfluential peasants so that he can just fully develop 12 guys. Hmm. Yeah. That's it. And then he'll die miserably at the hands of horribly evil people and his disciples will run away. Let's mm. do that. Let's do that. That'll be good. That'll be bigger things. Dude, <laughs> just, nobody would buy it. Like, we're, and, and it's funny because we can sit here and talk about how, oh, we don't like it, but it's, it's so us. We're so immersed in it. Our whole system is so sold out to it, you know? Like just this idea of like true success means lots of people, lots of people, lots of people like us. It's just so Hollywood and movie star and stupid. I hate it. <laughs> and I think social media actually adds to that because it's like, oh, we've been liked by this and this many thousand people. Yeah. Um, you know, one other uh, thought that just came is that for every success story that we as pastors share, at least for me and uh, Sharissa, my wife, like for every success story of a person who who started Bible studies and gave their life to Christ and were baptized and are, you know, loving being a part of the church. For everyone, there are at least six, maybe seven, who dropped off or who came all the way through toward near the end and then ended up dropping off, whether it was something in their life or something that they learned that they didn't resonate with mm -hmm. because it rebuked them or whatever. But those six or seven that didn't go through to baptism were just as much a success in the eyes of heaven, the studies that were done, the work that was done, because it called them to decision. Yeah. It wasn't a, a, as much of a success. There isn't rejoicing in, this, in the eyes of heaven like there is when someone is baptized. However, those seeds that were planted from the word of God, God will continue to water. And hopefully those people will actually surrender their lives to the Lord down the line and say, man, I remember hearing about this or learning about this. And now it's happening in the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's something yeah. that we also have to remember that God's word doesn't return to him void. It accomplishes what he sends it out to do. And that's what yeah. Jesus ministry is a beautiful example of. Totally. You know, I love the last thing I'm going to say in this podcast is I, the way my mind works is, uh, I take all of the knowledge I have of scripture and there's just a big panorama of what I know of it. So I see, I see things at the same time. So like, when I'm considering the ministry of Jesus, I'm considering his first contact with his disciples, um, his baptism, you know, his teaching, preaching ministry, his eventual betrayal, you know, trial, crucifixion, resurrection, 50 days later, Pentecost. I think of that, think of that whole, that whole, all the synoptic, the history of the synoptic gospels to the mm -hmm. day of Pentecost. Just just put a snapshot of that in your head yeah. and go, okay, so what did he do to accomplish to, to, to get true success, right? Like we would consider that the, that the, the success was Pentecost, yeah. right? Like we would say that, that, cause that's what looks like success to us. Right. But, but it took three and a half years of success to get to that success. Yeah. Pentecost was the explosion of numeric success. It was the explosion of, of, like worldly looking success, like lots of numbers, thousands of people, you know, magnificent manifestations of divine power. That's, that's, that's our, that's the archetypal like success. That's the archetypal yeah. like event that we identify say as success, but think of his whole life up to that point. There were some moments that looked like success, raising Lazarus from the dead is a success. Thousands yeah. of people flocking to you. That looks like success. True. But the thousands of people leaving you don't look like success. 
mm-hmm. the religious establishment filled with very smart, intelligent, decent, you know, what we would consider decent men and women rejecting you. That doesn't look like a success. You know, lots of things don't look like success, right? Choosing fishermen, that makes you look pretty stupid. Or a tax collector. Yeah, you know, hanging out with the people that he hung out. Like there's lots of things he did that did not look like success, but they all were success. And they led to that final Pentecostal explosion of what we call success. And so like in our ministries, in our lives, we can shoot for just like any amount of numbers, right? Like just, or sorry, numbers of any quality, or we can go for Pentecostal success, which is like numbers of quality, you know? Which, which is a lot to it. So anyways, man, so many more things we could say. You want to share a closing statement, a closing thought, or are we done? Yeah, yeah, just real quick. Uh, two kind of short sentences from the same article from the Youth Instructor, 1903. True success is given to men and women by the God who gave success to Daniel. Then it says, those who in their life fulfill God's purpose must put forth painstaking effort, applying themselves closely and earnestly to the accomplishment of whatever he gives them to do. I think that's just so powerful. Like whatever God gives us to do, if it's mopping the floor, if it's, you know, cleaning the cobwebs uh, in a building, or if it's, you know, preaching to thousands of people or plumbing or construction, whatever it is, you're a doctor, a nurse, it doesn't matter, whatever it is, whatever God gives you to do, if you put forth painstaking effort, apply yourself earnestly, you say, God, I want you to use me in this area for your glory to reach people. God's going to give you success in the same way that he gave it to Daniel. Mm. And yeah. uh, I think that's so reassuring. We do everything that we can with his help and then trust him to bless and do the rest. Love it. Amen. Hey, thanks guys for joining us uh, in this episode of all things evangelism. May, may God help us as we endeavor to truly be successful, to find true success. God bless you all in that. And we'll see you next week.